He needs to keep his promises. You don't know what's true anymore. It hurts me to see people burn the flag. Race relations. You tell me I can't have a gun. I just don't like the politics. Unbelievable. It's what you've been waiting for all day. America Now. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Sharp mind, strong voice. Buck Sexton. Buck Sexton here with you all now on America Now. Thank you so much for joining. Great to have you as always. You can call in. Our lines are open. And since we're just starting, there are spots available. There are slots for your call. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. Buck, like my name. Also, you can uh, send me your thoughts on Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or at Buck Sexton on Twitter. If you are listening, I will try to be responding live to social media throughout the show, as I always do. A lot going on tonight. You know, I last week, during our first week here of Buck Saxon with America Live, I was uh, talking a bit about how we had the fortune of being able to bring you breaking news, uh, despite the fact that there's been much of the news cycle already already had concluded already had been going on throughout the day and the same thing is true tonight it looks like uh, right now there's some movement on a couple of very important political topics uh, we have the likely we we have some movement on the ninth circuit court of appeals and uh, judge robart out there in seattle washington there's a call going on tonight to figure out what the next steps there will be and Townhall.com reporting that the Trump administration has already put in the paperwork for an en banc, en banc review uh, of all of the uh, Ninth Circuit. or It's actually not all because the Ninth Circuit's so big, but a, a larger quorum uh, of the Ninth Circuit judges. We also have the possibility, and I think it's going to be coming up in about an hour, of a vote on Steve Mnuchin, Treasury Secretary. Now, you'd think that this wouldn't be such a big deal that there are other issues that, that the left would focus and of course they can't get enough of how terrible the trump administration is and all the things that they can complain about and and point out and try to undermine and try to shake the confidence of the american people in this new executive branch leadership but we saw with betsy devos that there is no there is no role in the Trump administration that is safe from their hatred. And Steve Mnuchin, who was the subject, the unfortunate target of fake news before, it's a guy who's going to be Treasury Secretary, has all the credentials you'd want in somebody who's going to be involved in a very senior economic and financial role in the government, a guy who is uh, making sure that he pays attention to where all the money's going and what we're spending and what we're doing. Monetary policy. Mnuchin has that covered, you'd think. He's somebody who should be able to get through this process pretty quickly. But they ran stories, uh, some of the media ran stories, about how he was part of a company that for, ran a company that foreclosed on a widow's home, I believe, for 79 cents. Never happened. Totally fake. But as we've seen, these fake news stories keep popping up, and they're always... In the same political direction, they seem to have a consistent theme, and that theme is, well, if it's terrible about Trump, it must be true even when it's not, or one of his advisors, or somebody in his administration. But I I do think that they finally 
that the media and the left believe that they have cornered a senior member of the Trump administration here. We'll be talking about this more, uh, I believe, in the next hour as well. You have National Security Advisor Flynn, uh, Lieutenant General Flynn, career military officer who has gotten into some trouble here. Um, It's not clear exactly what's going to happen because it's not clear what was said and done yet. And much of this, of course, is coming to us from media outlets that are overtly hostile towards the administration. They may not admit that, but anybody who reads their stories or watches their broadcasts on a regular basis would come to that very obvious conclusion. They have wanted to get somebody uh, in the Trump administration in hot water, and, and they're now calling for the firing of, as I said, a career military officer who's currently a national security advisor. There are so many stories about process and bureaucratic dysfunction with regard to this White House, with regard to this new National Security Council. National Security Council, by the way, you hear it spoken about a lot. I had some familiarity with it back during my time as a CIA analyst interacting with the National Security Council uh, on numerous occasions. And these, these are generally civil servants, subject matter experts who have either regional or functional expertise, regional, an area, continent, functional, counterterrorism, something like that. And they're all upset because this new administration's come in. And of course, they must be talking to the press about how these meetings are going, some of these civil servants. So once again, we run into the built-in hostility, the permanent hostility of the permanent government, in this case, the civil service uh, bureaucracy. There are stories about uh, senior Trump officials, appointees as opposed to civil servants, people who have their job because Donald Trump and his top people thought that they would be good in the job as opposed to someone who is a government employee assigned by their home agency, for example, to work at the NSC. They're saying that there are uh, issues with the politicization of these meetings, that in, in at least one meeting, the NSC... Uh, a, a, the NSC senior personnel, uh, in this case, the deputy national security advisor, according to the New York Times, told everybody they normally have to make America great again. I, I don't I would assume that that was said somewhat tongue in cheek, but I don't know. I wasn't in the room, uh, but there's leaks all over. There are leaks all over the place right now. If you believe the press, there's another whole aspect to this story, which is that isn't it fascinating? The media jumps all over. And if you saw the interaction between Stephen Miller, senior policy advisor for the Trump administration on Sunday, and George Stephanopoulos, uh, who is uh, openly, again, openly antagonistic and hostile towards Miller. I mean, the way that he spoke to this guy, the exchange that they had is like, I mean, you know, you're the worst. You don't have any, you don't have any evidence. So I understand we can hold the White House to a different and higher standard than we hold major news organizations. And I think we should. I think we do. Uh, But on the flip side of this, it is fascinating to me that we're supposed to, the American people are supposed to come to very important judgments about how their government is functioning and what's happening uh, with their government based upon anonymous sourcing that journalists who are overwhelmingly hostile to the administration will never have to disclose to us and never have to verify, and we know that they have run a bunch of fake news stories the last few months. So 
they are asking for some degree of faith. I don't know if you want to put that degree of faith in their reporting on matters that are specifically damaging the administration, but we'll see on this issue of General Flynn, uh, the National Security Advisor. It was said at the time that he spoke, and I also have to point out, just as there are leaks from the NSC about how dysfunctional the NSC is right now and how there's there are meetings going on where there's no lights on because no one can find the light switch. I'm not making that up. That's not an exaggeration. It's actually what I believe it was the Washington Post and the New York Times. I forget. They, they jumble together in my brain. So those are two news sources that are, the, the you know, the New York Times Post. I mean, it's all the same thing to me. Um, but they repeat, they actually reported that there were some meetings going on in or in the White House in the dark so we could find the light switch. It seems a little a little much, but maybe that's the case. I don't know. Could be hard to find a light switch. Maybe they have to clap or something to get it to go on. Um, but Mike Flynn had this phone call. That much has been confirmed with the Russian ambassador. It seems very likely that we learned about this phone call as a result of, again, a leak. Perhaps a very high up leak from the previous occupants of the White House, but we don't know. But leaking classified to harm a senior or any government employee, but to harm a very senior administration official is about as dirty as politics are going to get in this country. I mean, that's high. It's illegal, should be pointed out. Not that anyone's going to care about that now. Uh, But here's the other side of this as well. Doesn't seem like Flynn was necessarily totally upfront about the contents of that conversation based on what's been said since then. And that wouldn't necessarily be a problem. Wouldn't be a problem because I think most people that support Trump are just going to say, all right, well, he got caught up for a second and who cares? The phone call is not that big a deal. But based on the reports, and again, I don't know if they're true and I can't run around independently verifying every news report so I can just read it with skepticism and try to get to the facts. He may have not told Pence, the vice president, what was going on. And that may be an unforgivable sin for this administration. And that may lead to the first senior administration official we know of in real hot water and possibly losing his job. Only a few weeks in the administration. I don't think that's going to happen, but the calls for it are getting very loud. What do you think about this Flynn situation? What do you think about the Mnuchin uh, vote tonight, and of course, the Ninth Circuit on Bonk Review, 844-900-2825. Buck Sexton with America Now. Buck Sexton back with you all now, 844-900-BUCK. In case this is your first night tuning in to Buck Sexton with America Now, a little background on me, I'm former CIA analyst, also spent some time at the NYPD Intelligence Division for counterterrorism, and then moved on to The Blaze. I have worked at CNN, I have appeared many times on Fox News, uh, doing radio and uh, TV for the last, oh, going on six years now, I guess. Yeah. So there you have it. And I filled in for Rush, Glenn, and Sean. So we have uh, Glenn 9 to 12 and Rush 12 to 3, Sean 3 to 6, and now Buck 6 to 9 Eastern with America Now. So there you have it. If you want to download any shows from uh, last week or from tonight, go to americanowradio.com slash podcast. Okay, I mentioned some evasiveness. Let's get right back into it. I've got, I got so much to cover today. The En Banc Review, the Mnuchin vote, the Trudeau-Trump press conference, which was kind of like a big a big bro hug. They were like hugging it out. They were having a good time. Uh, and then just all sorts of stories of leftist craziness from 
campuses to beyond to the Grammys. If we have time, we got cheating on net on Netflix cheating rather, which is not really cheating. It's just a fun way of saying it. I got so much show. You got to stay with me through the the rest of it. But I want to get back to the Mike Flynn issue because this is breaking right now. Uh, we have at least some reports in that General Flynn has apologized to Pence, according to ABC News here, for misleading him about the Russia call. Again, people will deal with a lot because they see that there is this complete all-out effort to annihilate the Trump presidency before it even gets going, uh, to take this administration uh, out politically as quickly as possible. And there's a lot of leeway that people will give Trump, those who at least are open-minded about the Trump administration. You don't have to be a Trumpster. You just have to, or a Trumper, whichever is the preferred nomenclature. You've just got to recognize the media, and I say media, we could, Democrats, media, the left, we can use those interchangeably here on the show, and we will. But they want to destroy. They're not looking to reform. They're not looking to moderate. They're not looking for a third way, a central path, none of that. They want payback. Hillary's supposed to be the president. Always remember that. In their minds, Hillary is the rightful president of the United States. It was fake news and Russia and the FBI director, Comey. They're the reason that Trump won. And and, and all the bad things about this country. They're the reason that Trump won, not because the American people wanted something different. That's what the left believes. All of them put together. But when you have people from inside of Trump's inner circle, when you have his most trusted personnel having problems when it comes to trusting each other, then these news reports about a dysfunctional White House and uh, about a lack of clear communication and processes and bumbling and fumbling, all of that starts to, even to those of us who discount a lot of the media stuff as smears, we start to say to ourselves, maybe there are some problems here. (laughs) It sounds like this is a problem. And it was pretty clear on Sunday when you had Steve Miller, who's up there, who's obviously a a very sharp guy, intellectually, a very smart guy. Uh, His delivery, I leave to you to decipher or to to determine for yourself whether it is effective for you or not as a a means of communication, uh, as a communicator for the administration. But he's certainly a smart guy. He was asked about Flynn specifically, and he got a little, uh, hmm, evasive. Play the clip, please. On answering the policy questions that you have, General Flynn has served his country admirably. He is a three-star general. He's head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, and I look forward to having more discussions about this in the future. So the White, the, the White House uh, did not uh, give you anything to say other they than that me, on, They did not give General me Flynn. anything to say. Uh, you sure. cannot, uh, so you cannot say Chuck, whether asked, or asked not an answer, Chuck. the president... Asked and answered. He's And his answer was that General Flynn served his country honorably, honorably, which he did, and that he had nothing really more to say other than that. Um, and that's now not all that's out there. As I said to you, at least ABC News is reporting, and they may retract it. Keep in mind, there was a report, what was it, last... Friday or maybe it was Thursday. I forget. Now, last week, we reported to you here live that uh, major news sources were saying the Trump administration had already said they would not seek uh, they would not seek to appeal the decision of the Ninth Circuit. And and then within minutes, it's like, actually, you know, psych, we we are going to appeal that. Whoa, okay, that's a quick turnaround. Who would have thought? So and we'll find out more about that tonight, I think, where where that's going and and the, the processes 
that will be in place for that. Keep in mind, there are 29 active judges in the Ninth Circuit, so an 11-member panel would be convened uh, for the case if it goes to en banc. I feel like we should come up with a better term than that, but an en banc hearing, right? Barring from the borrowing from the French. Speaking of which, Trudeau, we have to talk about his uh, his meeting. Yes, uh, Mr. Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, is very uh, very smooth today on the press conference. No, may we? Oui. Hello, ladies. This is uh, Monsieur Trudeau. I come down to your country to uh, make. Oh, now see, you get too French, you start to get German. That's the problem. You got to keep it. You got to keep it clear in your head. We'll get back to Monsieur Trudeau later on, uh, but for now. The, the circling the wagons that the Trump team has had to do, and I, I say to you sometimes, you're just you might as well just jump into the trench because in, you're either with the left on their desire to utterly destroy this administration and everybody who works in it. They they want their reputations ruined. They want people to go to prison. They, and I know people can say, oh, but look at Obama. No, I'm sorry. I was alive during the early weeks of the Obama administration, and you did not have every major newspaper and every major channel with one exception with a just a constant frenzy of anti-trump administration stories opposing them on policy just it's so clear that they are in opposition that they're not bringing you information and letting you decide that they have come up with a narrative and they're trying to feed that narrative not just by picking and even cherry picking facts but in some cases manufacturing facts this is a problem, my friends. This is something that should bother all of us, and I think I'm sure it bothers many of you. But with Flynn, if he if he wasn't keeping it keeping it real, if he didn't give the straight scoop to Pence, and then Pence goes out there and looks foolish, you can't have that. I've been around enough senior administration officials and senior intelligence community uh, people that the moment that there is Lack of trust between them. I mean, you've really, especially on the national security side, you all you all got to be on the same team. And that means always, all day, all the time. It doesn't mean you have to agree all the time, but it just means there has to be trust and a sense that the mission is all that really matters. The mission of defending this country, protecting this country. And you, that means you can't let other little things get in the way. You can't allow the media to create fissures and breaks between you and those around you that you have to have at your side because we know that they're going to get criticized on the policy side. We know that they're going to be saying that whatever Trump does in the Middle East, vis-a-vis China, vis-a-vis Mexico, you name it, they're going to come after that. But it can't be dysfunctional on the inside. There has to be a united front. And if I, I think they might let this one go, we'll see. But if General Flynn has to step down, if the National Security Advisor ends up resigning in month, well, really month one in a sense, but you know, the second month by calendar, uh, it's just going to make the media that much more fired up. They're going to think that they're back and they can do whatever they want. Buck Sexton with America Now, where there's always something to talk about, where you can trade opinions with Buck. Not sure you'll win, though. Just call 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. All right, Buck, you're on. All right, Buck Sexton, back with you now, and we are joined by Ben Shapiro. He is the editor-in-chief of DailyWire.com, a syndicated columnist, host of The Ben Shapiro Show, and The Morning Answer. Ben, thank you very much for calling in. 
Hey, Buck, hope you're doing well. I'm, I'm good, thank you. Uh, let's start with the uh, the Ninth Circuit, the en banc review, and the way forward for this immigration order. Where do you see the state of play right now? Well, I mean, I, th- I think that appealing it to the Supreme Court is a mistake, because it's likely to split 4-4 with Justice Kennedy, making sure that the executive order is, is basically struck down at the Ninth Circuit level. I, I think the smart thing, if Trump wants to uphold this thing, the smart thing for him to do is just to wait until Gorsuch is confirmed or to rewrite the executive order in the first place. The Ninth Circuit decision, by the way, is an atrocity. I mean, there, there are a bunch of reasons, legally speaking, why it's ridiculous. And the most obvious is that it basically says that any state can now sue the federal government on any immigration policy that bars anyone. So if there's some random dude in the, at the top of a mountain in Yemen, uh, as I think it was, uh, I think it was um, Andrew McCarthy at National Review put it, if there's some dude at the top of a mountain in Yemen, that dude now has a right to enter the United States, uh, according to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal. There are a bunch of other problems with it. It basically says that everybody, including illegal immigrants, has a right to due process under the Constitution. It suggests that they're allowed to look at statements that are made outside of the law and outside of the legislative history of a piece of legislation or an executive order in order to determine the the content of the executive order, which is dangerous stuff. It's also wildly inconsistent. I mean, if that were the case, then certainly it would have behooved the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals to say that Obamacare was a tax, considering that Barack Obama kept saying continuously that it was a tax after it was passed. But the legal decision is ridiculous. That doesn't mean the rollout of this thing was good, that it was legally well-written, or that the best strategy here is to appeal it to the Supreme Court. Ben, I know you went to Harvard Law School. I'm guessing that if I asked you to guess, there are plenty of professors both at, at, at Harvard and at other elite law schools across the country who certainly like the outcome here, but would probably also find some way to defend, and even in front of their classrooms, I assume, would defend the decision somehow. Because I've, I've heard people oh, yeah. doing this on TV, and they always sound foolish, but some of them have fancy titles. And no question. I mean, law schools are basically dominated by the left, and that means that they participate in what we call legal realism. The idea is that if they like the outcome, then they'll justify the logic that it took to get to that outcome, which is just bad jurisprudence. It's being a bad judge. And the fact is that they actually could have come up with some grounds to strike this thing down if they wanted to. They could have claimed that the Naturalization Act doesn't allow discrimination on the basis of religion or ethnicity, and that that trumps the the executive order provision that that Trump cited, that, that provision from the U.S. Code that was passed in 1956. That would have been at least a plausible explanation. They didn't bother citing to either the statute or the Constitution. They didn't even bother citing the executive order. Again, there are a lot of people who are going to say that this thing is illegal, this executive order is illegal, but the Ninth Circuit didn't even bother to make any sort of basic legal argument. Speaking to Ben Ben Shapiro, who is the editor-in-chief of DailyWire.com, I want to ask you about a piece on the Daily Wire, Ben. Saturday Night Night Live turns into the anti-Trump revenge brigade. We have a quick clip we want to play of Melissa McCarthy as Spicer. Play it. It's easy. It's extreme vetting. Extreme vetting. Uh, But what does that mean, extreme vetting? What does it mean? It means it's extreme. Okay, you know what? Spicy's going to explain it so you dumb babies can understand it. So I guess I can't use my big words. I'm going to have to use my dollies. Now, I wish, Ben, that we actually could play for you. We we don't have it loaded up right now, but the other... anti-administration. I mean, look, the the Melissa McCarthy one, I think, is a little more borderline. The one that went completely off the rails and was mean-spirited and clearly meant to uh, demean uh, in a way that you would never see under a Democratic administration was the Kellyanne Conway, Jake Tapper. She is a stalker. She's pulling out a knife. She's cursing. She's completely unhinged and crazy. This isn't laughter and good fun. This isn't conservatives or people like me and you pointing it out being snowflakes. This is just nasty, underhanded, and intended to undermine. 
Agreed. I mean, I think that the Melissa McCarthy thing, I'll, I'll admit that the first time she did the Sean Spicer thing, I, I thought it was hilarious. It's pretty funny, it was, yeah. It's really funny. Um, I thought that coming back to the dead horse and then beating it into uh, into a skeleton, I thought was a little much. But but that's not a big deal. I think the Kellyanne Conway thing was, was egregious, not really because of the psycho Kellyanne Conway portrayal, but because of the sexuality of it, the, the notion that she was you know, trying to get up in Jake Tapper's business. Kellyanne Conway is a mother of four. She's a married mother of four. And Jake Tapper is a married father of two. I mean, that's, I thought that was over the top. It was clearly sexist. If it had been directed at, at anybody from the left, everybody would have said this is, this is sexist. Can you imagine them doing the same thing about Hillary Clinton and her desire to be on the news all the time? Everybody would immediately said it was sexist, but you can do it to Kellyanne Conway, no problem. I'm not a fan of Kellyanne Conway's, and I thought it was ridiculous and over the top, but SNL has, has now made it clear that their, their mission is to tick off Trump. Like that, that's at least half of what they're trying to do now. It's not even being funny as much as it is, can we drive Trump to, to distraction? Will he tweet about us? And if he does, will that raise our ratings? Now, I know you also go and speak, and you recently, uh, at campuses, you recently spoke, was it Mar- Marquette, is that right? Um, and, yeah, and, and you addressed the student body there. Are, are you sensing that the hostility towards the Trump administration that exists in the media that's beyond anything that I've ever seen in my lifetime in terms of the way the media is portraying this? I mean, the way they, it, it was hugs and kisses for Bush in comparison to what we're seeing for Trump. How is that playing out with students? I'm sure the faculties at all these places are predominantly, not entirely, I had a conservative thesis advisor, but I mean, predominantly not so on this. But how are the students, are, are some of them starting to recognize that they're being fed stuff that's just not true, that's not fair, that's not even-handed? I think there's a contingent that are starting to get annoyed with it. I think there, there's, I would say most people on the hard left are still going psycho over Trump. I mean, it's only, it hasn't even been a month yet. But I, I think that, you know, the, there is a contingent of people who are interested in hearing a different point of view, and they're willing to come and hear it, especially... You know, I, I'm in a little bit of a different situation because I am not a Trump apologist. There are some of these speakers on campus who actually are. Uh, I'm not a Trump apologist, so that gives me a little bit of added credibility when I speak in front of kind of lefty college students. Um, but uh, I... Did we just lose Ben? I think... Sorry, Ben, you dropped for a sec. Go ahead. I think we are going to reach the edge point here where there are a bunch of... The psychotic break with reality where we're going to... stuff. That's over the top. Ben Shapiro is the editor-in-chief of DailyWire.com, syndicated columnist, host of The Ben Shapiro Show and The Morning Answer. You also check out his pieces on National Review. Ben, appreciate you making the time. Thanks for joining. Hey, thanks a lot. And we're back. Buck Sexton with America now here with all of you. Please call in to me, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK, B-U-C-K, like my name. Uh, let's take Eric in Alabama. Eric, you're speaking to Buck. Hey, what's going on, Buck? Rocking and rolling, sir. How about you? Yeah, the same down here. And, um, yeah, sorry the call dropped the other day. I was enjoying our conversation. Oh, no problem, yeah. sir. What's on your mind? Kind of the air apparent. Um, hey, I just wonder if you think this is a crackpot, harebrained idea. Okay, you remember SALT 1 and 2? Mm-hmm. Start the trees we tried, you know, to... And at the time, you know, the Soviet Union was uh, just as concerned with we were at... Uh, you know, global nuclear annihilation, or they said they were anyway. I don't know, you know, just how, um, you know, sincere the Soviet Union was during those treaties that we tried to have with them. I hear you, Eric. Let's bring this up to speed. So where are we now? Sure, sure, sure. What I'm wondering is, okay, we worry about Iran. Could the big play be us working behind closed doors at the 
upper end, uh, the highest levels of power on a big plan, a strategic arms limitation plan where we're going to work to in sync in sync with the the former Soviet, the Russia. And I know that nukes have spread out so much now that there maybe there is no containing them. But could they maybe turn their backs and let us go into Iran and take out the nip their nuclear program in the bud and let that be the first domino and the second be the one that and you probably know much more about that can give some good insight on this. You know, I don't know if you caught in O'Reilly's interview with Trump the other day when he mentioned uh, uh, their conversation with uh, his conversation with Obama on the way of the inauguration, and he said it surprised him what he thought that Obama thought was our biggest threat, our biggest enemy in the world, our backstabbing friend, possibly Pakistan. Uh, you know, another nuclear power. So we're, we're, we're covering a lot of territory here, Eric, with, with your question. I mean, you're asking if if maybe the Trump administration is planning to work with to work with Russia to take out Iran's nuclear program and maybe also to contain Pakistan. And it's I, I, I what the Pakistan question. I don't I'm not sure how that ties into the others, but maybe that's a separate question. Way ahead, because I thought maybe that could possibly get India to give up theirs. No, I don't, I'll be like I, I'll, I, I can answer. I think I've got enough here to, to give you some sort of an answer, Eric. And I thank you for calling in from Alabama. Uh, I don't. I don't see <laughs> nothing that the Trump administration is going to do is going to get India or Pakistan to give up their nukes that, that I that I think is foreseeable. Uh, so that's we can start there. And then in terms of Russia and Iran, this is uh, this is an interesting place to go because we start to ask the question. All right, so you've got uh, you've got the former administration under uh, with Obama. Um, becoming increasingly, well, belligerent may be not fair because it's in response to their actions, but you have the former administration certainly taking a more hardline stance vis-a-vis Russia than they had before the end of Obama's term. And the Russian actions, the bombing of Aleppo and, and bombing campaign in Syria that was... Uh, not just haphazard in its targeting of civilians, but in many cases it seemed targeting civilians was, in fact, the purpose of the bombing. Um, so that's uh, that's a, a major problem. Uh, never mind the additions of Crimea and eastern Ukraine and constant saber rattling in the in the neighborhood of the Baltics, which are NATO allies that we are obligated to protect. But now, okay, those are all problems. What do we do about it? Do we just hope to keep Russia at arm's length and not engage? Do we think that we can somehow bring about a tremendous uh, turnaround in Russian policy? I I just don't see that. Um, And I I think that you then have to start to ask the question, do we carve out areas where there are some places for cooperation? And, And is that something the Trump administration is going to do? A problem that comes up, and you see this all ties together, is that the political room that the Trump administration has to maneuver when it comes to dealing with Russia is getting narrower by the minute with the dust-up over National Security Advisor Flynn and his phone call to Russia. And this starts to feed into the, well, Trump is far too positively disposed towards Russia, far too favorable towards Russia, and even up to the point which many journalists are insinuating, if not saying openly, that Trump would sell out his country for Russia. And that's a leap that I I do not find in any way supported by the facts. Um, That Trump is more friendly towards Putin. But keep in mind, go back and look at what Bush said early on. Go back and look at what Obama said with his, you know, 
after my election, I'll have more freedom to, uh, you know, I'll have more freedom to deal with. He was talking to Medvedev at the time, but it got caught on that on the uh, on the open mic. And then Bush saying, I forget what the exact words were, but I looked into Putin's eyes and or his soul and he was a good man or something. Well, well, I don't know about that, W. I don't know about that in retrospect. Point here being, what are you supposed to do? I mean, Russia is not North Korea. Russia is not even Iran. The international community is not going to band together with us and try to uh, stifle and contain all Russian economic activity and military activity. Not going to happen. Russia is still a military uh, a, a military power, not a global power per se, but certainly uh, more than a regional power. You could probably say it's a hemispheric power, although it crosses a couple of hemispheres. Uh, so it's it's very difficult to see the way forward with the Trump administration on Russia, not ha- and not also see that there's going to be a lot of second guessing of everything that he does. Because the stories that are out there now are to suggest that Russia helped him get elected, that he's a pawn in the Kremlin's hand, uh, in in the hand of the Kremlin, and I I don't see that, but I, I do see the I I'm not saying it's a tone I don't know if it's a tone deafness or just a lack of caring or maybe it gets swept into the we make no apologies and we just have a we're we're just ready to fight and fight back and counterpunch every time the press comes after us. Some issues, maybe the better path is to explain their position a bit instead of just meeting the hostility of the press with their own hostility. On a lot of stuff, that works, obviously. Uh, And it has worked well for the administration up to this point. But I just wonder how this will shake out for not just Russia policy, but now that you've got Flynn apologizing to Pence, you're going to see news stories for at least the next 48 hours and probably all week about how Pence must go and they're going to bring out expert after expert. I mean, sorry, not, pardon me, not Pence, uh, that Flynn must go and they're going to trot out all these people. Uh, the, the more senior and the bigger their title, the better, at least from previous administrations, telling us all that Flynn has um, messed up the workings of the National Security Council, so all of it. You, you can write it yourself, right? You don't have to read it because you know what they're going to say. They're going to come out with a a major campaign here to get one administration official to step down. And let's be honest about this. This would be a pretty major victory for the media that's been going after the Trump administration from day one. This is is all a media campaign. They broke the story about the Flynn phone call on Russia. They're the ones that have been hammering the Russia, not just— Helping Trump get elected, which, of course, has been was the main story the press is running for over a month, but also that Russian fake news sites were affecting U.S. the U.S. electorate's perception and may have tilted the election in Trump's favor. So this this is all part of a very uh, consistent and, and detailed plan and framework for how they're trying to undermine the administration. If they can convince enough people that Trump will do Russia's bidding it's it's very it's very hard to then turn around and say, well, he's going to make America great again, as long as the Kremlin's okay with that. That's what they're hoping to do. I don't see it as uh, the dire crisis that certainly all the mainstream media folks do, um, but I do think that they have clearly made there. There's been some error here. There have been some mistakes made because you have the National Security Advisor apologizing, at least according to one news source, for misleading the vice president, making him look uh, perhaps a bit foolish on this one. And that's 
That I do think is unforgivable. If if the Trump team has always had as an an admirable quality, I think uh, loyalty to its uh, loyalty to its own. I I would also imagine that disloyalty is the one is the one unforgivable sin. And you know the, this is also now leading into stories, and I'll, I'll get into this more with you in just a few minutes about and I, I can't verify it for true I'm, I'm i'm pinging my sources i'm asking people inside the intelligence community i'm trying to get outside of the media echo chamber with this and speak to my friends who are patriots on both on both sides of the aisle who work inside the ic and who work in law enforcement i want to ask them if some of this is true and i'm trying to get independent verification but there's a lot of talk a lot of hype right now about the insider threat and how the Trump administration at this point in time is maybe going to consider monitoring of personal social media accounts for those who work in the national security field and in the White House, monitoring the communication. I mean, this is the stuff you're reading. And it's, of course, intended to feel Orwellian, authoritarian, even creeping totalitarian. It's supposed to put you on edge. Uh, I don't know if it's true. And it's getting to a point now where there's so much negativity, there's so many uh, damaging stories being run about the Trump White House that I, I, you spend all your time trying to track down whether they're true or not. And you find out that one or two aren't true. It's whack-a-mole. There's 10 more. And you're just constantly trying to verify and verify. And that's why people don't trust the press anymore because they're sick of it. All right. Uh, hour two on Buck Sexton with America Now will be upon us in just a few minutes. Stay with me. The things that matter most in your day-to-day life are too important to trust to just anyone. That's, that's why. That's why he's here. Buck Sexton with America Now. Sharp mind, strong voice. Buck Sexton. Welcome back to Buck Sexton with America Now. Phones are open, 844-900-2825, 844-900-2825, 900-BUCK. Joined now by my friend John Schindler. He is, like me, a former IC guy. He is an ex-NSA and currently the national security uh, writer for the New York Observer. Read his latest at Observer.com. His piece, The Spy Revolt Against Trump, begins, oh my, John, good to have you. Great to be here, Buck. Uh, Yeah, welcome to the nationally syndicated uh, Buck Section Show. Really appreciate you coming to hang out with us, John. Let's start it off with uh, the... The Flynn situation, I mean, right now, the Flynn story is CNN's running with it as, as though they have a countdown clock to when he actually gets canned. Uh, how, how serious is this? I mean, do, do you think that do you think that he might be gone as a result of this dust up? Well, he certainly should be, if I can put my cards on the table there. Uh, the, he seems to have uh, flat out lied to the vice president, who then turned around and lied to the American public about it. You know, a rather important issue, which is his calls to the Russian embassy. Uh, after the election, although it's New York Times has discovered uh, from leaks that actually his relationship with the Russian ambassador goes back to before the election. Um, and, uh, you know, Vice President Pence wanted to know uh, if anything untoward, particularly Obama's sanctions on Russia and Lithuania, had been discussed. And uh, General Flynn apparently said uh, they had not been, and now he's changed the story. Uh, if you look, he's now back into the land of sort of non-denial denials, as people do inside the Beltway when they don't want to fess up, but he is supposed to have apologized to the vice president, which is a sign that obviously something bad happened. What would lead the national security advisor to tell the... Well, first of all, how do you think we found out about this? It seems pretty uh, likely to me, I can't say obvious, 
this has got to be a leak from either the former White House or the former and current intelligence community somewhere. Yes, or perhaps both. Uh, look, we monitor the phone calls to the Russian embassy in Washington, just like they monitor our embassy in Moscow. In fact, this is common in pretty much every world capital on the planet. When there's a hostile intelligence service nesting in an embassy, you want to know what's being said on phones and sometimes do physical surveillance as well. So these calls were intercepted. And of course, what makes this truly bizarre is that Mike Flynn, a career military intelligence officer, retired three-star Army general, uh, former director of the Defense Intelligence Agency, certainly should have known. It's incomprehensible he didn't know that those calls were going to be intercepted. So that's, that's part of what makes it such a very strange story. Uh, Ambassador uh, Sergei Kistiaka, his, his, uh, his interlocutor, certainly knew that these calls were being intercepted. The Russians are well aware of that. So th- this adds a rather strange dimension to all this, and there are transcripts out there, classified, of course, not in the public domain, about what... General Flynn actually said, which presumably is why he's backtracked now. No, no, but see, the, the Logan Act, and I know that journalists have been bringing this one up, oh, the Logan Act. Logan Act has never once yeah. been used to successfully prosecute any human being in this country since it was enacted, in, I think, in 1799. So yeah. the Logan Act is not the, the sort of Damocles ha- hanging over the head of anybody who decides to have, you know, a little side conversation about foreign policy, whether they're a senior administration official or just some some congressman who's out there on a, on a junket. That's point here being why why lie about this unless there's something to lie about that's what i don't understand and this is the first time i'm seeing something in the trump team that i'm like guys you really do have to clean this up i don't know how anybody makes this go away for you well also there's the fact that look russia has hung over the trump campaign and now new administration for a year now is questions about Trump's Kremlin ties, some of them very legitimate questions, have dominated headlines from that, from time to time, and certainly since since his inauguration. Uh, who thought it was a good idea to call the Russian ambassador up on an open phone anyway? I mean, this was you're just courting trouble with this kind of thing. Can we just put something on the table, John? You, I mean, you think that Flynn is is not is not a savvy intelligence officer. Is, no. that, is that fair to say? I mean, I, I read your columns yeah, on I this, do. and you respect his service to his country. I do, too, but you're t- from, and you know more about him than I do. I didn't really interact with him at all when I was CIA, and I didn't know much about him uh, when I was inside. Uh, you don't have a high opinion of him even before this, or you didn't have a high opinion of him even before this Russia thing. Why? Um, no, I, his reputation is greatly inflated. Uh, he did fine up through the one-star level in the Army and basically tactical intelligence and support to our war on terrorism, and that's great. The problem is tactical intelligence doesn't do you much when you're playing in the big strategic game inside the Beltway. And he fell flat on his face at DIA. He was fired by, General, by President Obama with cause. He lies about this as he was fired because he demanded a, a tougher line on ISIS. That's simply not true. Now, I happen to think on the matter of ISIS, Flynn was right about a lot of this, and President Obama was wrong. That's clear. But Flynn, Flynn was fired for cause from DIA, and that should have been a warning sign. This is someone who isn't good at running big, complex organizations, so why give him the even more politically charged National Security Council to run? Um, so I, I think this is just asking for trouble. I mean, President Trump uh, trusts Flynn, and I think that's why he's having a hard time getting rid of him, which now he frankly should. You shouldn't be able to lie to the vice president. And then the vice president lies to the American public and get away with it. That that should be in a sane administration. That is a fireable offense. So let's see what they do. Yeah, but as you, of course, that will just be chumming the waters full of media piranhas. But it may happen. It, it may happen nonetheless. Um, I want to ask you about the insider threat that's also being reported uh, right now, or I should say, the insider threat programs. 
Are, are, what do you think? I haven't had a chance. I just read about this today. I haven't had a chance to ask any of my friends who are inside. But there's real angst, if you believe the the Times and, and Post pr- uh, primarily reporting on this, that the Trump team is going to want access to people's personal social media accounts, uh, yep. is looking over emails. Very paranoid about uh, leaks to the press, but that means that they might get even more Orwellian than the current security procedures in the IC and at the NSC would be, which are pretty bad to begin with. But they're going to go to a new level. Do you think that's does that wash with you? Do you think that's true? I I think it is true. I've heard the same from people in in a position to know. Uh, I believe it certainly is largely true. And it's very disturbing in the sense that, you know, insider threats are normally we're talking about espionage and foreign intelligence. They're concerned about leaks. And look, leaks are a problem. Uh, The Obama administration cracked down on leaks extraordinarily more than any administration, at least since Richard Nixon. Uh, And and in some ways, too much so. People went to jail for, for leaks. And look, that's all well and good. We're talking about leaking things that may not even be classified, but it looked bad for the administration. And if they want to create a climate of fear that will paralyze operations on the National Security Council and more broadly in the White House, this is the way to do it. The career folks on the NSC already hate the Trump people, and this is going to put them into, into an incredible spin-up of, of resentment and anger, which is just going to make the work climate there worse and less functional, and it's really dysfunctional now anyway because Flynn and his cronies don't know how to run this organization. Look, every new administration has teething pains. It takes weeks and months to get going, but they're just going very slowly already. Now, when, when, he, he, when he nominated and, of course, has since been confirmed uh, Mattis to be Secretary of Defense, you were very complimentary about that. You said Mattis is a warrior Absolutely. monk, learned guy, respected by the rank and file all the way up to the top, and that was a, a, an, an excellent pick by your estimation and by mine as well. Uh, is that assuming that Flynn does resign or is asked to resign, which may not happen? And and I would say, from what I'm seeing, it looks like fifty fifty to me. Do you want to put a Do you want to put odds on it? It looks fifty fifty. Um, it, it was really fifty fifty over the weekend. We know there was a big big kerfuffle in the White House about does he stay or does he go. Uh, this morning, it looked like he was staying. Uh, Mr. Spicer, the, the president's spokesman, this afternoon, late this afternoon, indicated that the question is still open at the White House. So. Is this? Are they genuinely confused? Are they trying to make everyone think they're confused? I don't know, but I, I think we're back to fifty-fifty. But now. but if we uh, if we put if we put some, let's say he stepped down, do you think that bringing in somebody of the stature and respect of a Mattis at the Pentagon to be the national security advisor to take over the day to day at the at the NSC does that fix a lot of these problems? Um, it, it certainly could, particularly if his successor was able to bring in his or her people. Um, I don't know that you could find a much worse. Uh, national security advisor than Mike Flynn by temperament. Uh, I mean, I think you could pick better people randomly off the streets of D.C. His predecessor, wow. Susan... You are not going to the Flynn right? Christmas party this year, John. Oh, no. I, I, I'm, I've been off his Christmas card list for a while, and that's okay. His predecessor, Susan Rice, was a disaster, but Flynn is, frankly, an even worse one. Uh, and so, I, yes, this could get better. If Flynn is cashiered and his successor brings in people who are more functional, who are not just cronies... Then yes, this could get better very quickly. Particularly, as you said, since Mattis is over at the Pentagon, is an incredibly solid guy. Even Tillerson, the State Department, he wouldn't have been my choice, but he's a smart guy. He he wants to do the right thing for the country, uh, and you know this could get better. Um, it would be hard to see how it could get worse. Wow. All right. John Schindler, national security columnist for the New York Observer, read his latest: "The Spy Revolt Against Trump Begins" at Observer.com. My IC brother, good to have you on, John. A pleasure as always, Buck. Have a good one. You too. All right, Buck is back with you now, 844-900-2825 on the lines. You want to call in, 
Oh, boy. Uh, another show. I'm going to switch to some positive stuff to the administration in a second. Everyone's being so mean to the administration today. Come on. Gosh, guys, they're trying. I know. They should do better than that. They're the most powerful government figures in the world. Uh, you know, it's, it's a learning curve. Yeah, they're doing what they can. You know, it's only been a few weeks. Let them. No, I know. Let them settle in. Eh, it's going to be. It's going to be a, a bumpy ride here, I think, for a little bit while the administration gets its footing. And keep in mind, the press doesn't want them. To, they, they act like, oh, we just wish they were more effective. We just wish they had a better sense of policy plotting and intragovernmental communications. That is a lie. They The more this looks like a bunch of buffoons running into each other in the hallway during a fire drill. The, the more that's how they can portray the administration, the happier they will be. A perfect example of this, New York Times right now talking about how the this is the, the piece is from Trump's Mar-a-Lago to Facebook, a national security crisis in the open. And this just went up, oh gosh, I don't know, recently, that I can say. And when the nuclear, uh, sorry, when the uh, missile test from North Korea happened, it seems here that the Trump team was at Mar-a-Lago, which I hear is lovely this time of year, and they uh, assembled more or less a war a war room for the response, not an actual war room. There were, I don't think they were designating uh, you know missile strikes or anything, but uh, a war room for the response to this whole situation. Um, and it was out in the open, and they were using their uh, they were using their f- their cell phones as flashlights. So yeah, uh, and people, country club members were seeing this all happening out in the open. Um, you know, you don't necessarily want to do this kind of thing like that on the fly. Might be better to get to a more private location. Not necessarily. They're saying, oh, they should have gone to a, uh, a secure compartmental, uh, compartmentalized uh, facility, that they should have moved to a, a uh, secure compartmented information facility, SCIF, in the IC parlance. Okay, I mean, maybe not a SCIF, but maybe also don't do it where people are clearing their filet mignon and they can kind of just perk up an ear and catch what the response is going to be from the commander-in-chief to a, a nuclear test. Although... If their class, if their discussions were all unclassified, their discussions were all unclassified. I, I you, you can look at this a couple of ways, but of course, this is all supposed to tie into the theory that this is amateur hour. They don't know what they're doing. Keep in mind, previous White House, you had people like Valerie Jarrett as the senior most advisors to the president of the United States. Uh, you had, you know, David Axelrod, Valerie Jarrett. Oh yeah, oh yeah, these are people that I want to trust the nuclear codes to. I mean, come on. But you didn't see a lot of stories about how they didn't know what was going on then. Uh, and, you know, Obama was drawing on his vast national security experience when he became commander-in-chief. And by vast, I mean non-existent. So uh, you can tell there's a very di- there's a huge difference in tone and, and approach from the way all of this is reported about. I did want to get to the press conference today because I thought this was another interesting example of how this is all presented to us, and also the expectations created around it. Here's what happened. You have the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau. Hello, lady. He reminds me of, of the uh, of the guy at, like, a, you know, beach resort that teaches, you know, the 
sailing or a scuba or something, and he's like a little too little too cozy talking to your girlfriend or your wife. You're like, wait a second, I don't. This guy with the French accent, why is he talking to my wife? I just here for a surfing lesson. Uh, step away, sir. Um, he did a very good job. He's like, oh, bonjour, ladies. I'm the prime minister of uh, Canada. He actually speaks English without an accent, which so I'm, I'm being unfair. But he did switch into French a few times. But in my in my world, Trudeau is like. He's like very, he's like the Montreal version of Trudeau's very French. Hello, ladies. Bonjour, bonsoir. Uh, so he's, he's out there giving a press conference with Trump. And everyone's asking, oh, is there, are there going to be fireworks? Oh, is there going to be some huge? Well, wh- why would there be fireworks? There, this is a relationship that's about as solid as two countries could possibly have. <laughs> Canada and America, they're our second biggest trading partner. We are by far their biggest trading partner. And we've uh, they've s- s- sent troops to serve honorably, honorably beside ours, uh, fighting right alongside ours in numerous wars, stretching back World War, World War I, World War II, uh, Korea, uh, Iraq, uh, Afghanistan. So, you know, they're... There's no reason to believe that this would go off the rails. Okay, I know. Trudeau is very, uh, hello, ladies. Do you drive a Prius? Are you into uh, carbon offsets? Are you, uh, how do you say? I know he's so not this French. He's so not this Frenchy, but I'm I'm making him super Frenchy. Um, but, he, you know, he's very left-wing guy. Very pro, pro he describes himself as very feminist, as a feminist. I think half of his senior administration posts or something along those lines are women. And so what does Trump do? Trump meets with them and I think makes a very wise decision or savvy decision from a PR perspective. I think that this, whenever someone says they're gathering a council, you know, it's, it's sort of like in the CIA when we had a problem and they're like, well, we need to hold a meeting. Yeah, that's going to fix it. Uh, when you gather together a council to tackle a complex problem, whether it's economic, political, or otherwise, they have some council on women's entrepreneurship. This is the kind of thing where I, I think Trump realizes, you know, I'll, I'll get a... I'll get a free ride on this one. We got Mr. Left-wing feminist uh, prime minister over here, and he wants to talk about women entrepreneurship. You know, the uh, lifeblood of the economy is the female entrepreneur, and you know, Trump's all like, "Yeah, I like, I, you know, I like, I like women entrepreneurs." You know, whatever. So he said that they're forming this committee or this council. Who knows if that's going to do anything? But the press, re- what they really wanted, what they really wanted, was a moment of. Acrimony. They they wanted a little bit of a, of a back and forth, some verbal pugilism between these two uh, leaders. And they even asked at one point they, they tried to get uh, Trudeau to weigh in. And do we have the Trudeau clip of him? Yeah, we we asked. Uh, they asked Trudeau to weigh in on um, on Trump's immigration executive order. As though, yeah, that's these guys are just meeting for the first time. They're trying to establish a working relationship between two. Very powerful individual. I mean, I mean, America a little more powerful than Canada. We love you, Canada. I'm just saying, you know, we've, a little, we've got we got like more nukes and stuff, bigger, bigger military. But you're a great country. We love you. You're like our brother up north. Uh, but they're trying to establish a good working relationship. And the press is all like, oh, do you want to criticize this very politicized issue of the immigration order? And here's what Trudeau said. I got to give him credit. Play it. And you'll hear he's not that Frenchy. Uh, is... Uh, for me to come down Not and at all. Uh, lecture another country on how they choose to govern themselves. There you go. 
I, I, I had to say this guy was was super smooth in the press conference today, and Trump stayed on message, read his comments. So while everyone's talking, I know there's the Flynn story. Oh, they've, they've, you can just see him, and they're gonna they're gonna be popping the champagne over at MSNBC. You know, we got one. You know, if Flynn gets fired, they're gonna be so excited. Oh man, they're there's they're just gonna be gloating over their morning lattes. Uh, they're gonna be really excited over that one, or their cortado also known as a flat white, as I understand it. And there's even another name for it out on the West Coast that I forget what they call it. It's like a, it's like a latte with less milk. I learned these things. I live in New York. Uh, but while that's all happening, you got Trump. Great meeting with Abe, uh, Prime Minister of Japan. Great meeting with Trudeau. Well, look, I know Trudeau is a, left, a left-wing guy and has some kind of nutty ideas, and there's a video of him doing a whole falling down the stairs thing on YouTube. But he was, he was good in the press conference today. It was kind of like props, high five, and mad love between America and Canada, as it should be. And these two guys look like they're going to get, you know, they're both celebrities in their own way. Uh, and I think they're going to get together and uh, they'll do some, they're going to make Canada and America great again. I, I'm optimistic for that relationship. So, so while we're talking about some of the uh, missteps and, and problems the Trump administration's had, let's also look at some of the victories. And the fact that there's some major policy stuff they've got underway that could really do good things for this country. Buck Sexton with America Now. Buck is back. Hey, everybody. Buck's back. It's more of America Now. Throw in your two cents. 1-844-900-BUCK. That's 1-844-900-2825. Buck Sexton with America Now. Back with you all. Thank you so much for joining. And if you're listening to the break, really appreciate you spending your time with me today uh i just want to give you some oh that's right breaking news from the freedom hut here that's right team buck we, we give you the breaking news as it comes in of course uh steve mnuchin is now your treasury secretary or has gone through the senate they've they voted to push through mnuchin I'm, I'm assuming party line vote i haven't even been able to dig into the details i'm assuming it was party line uh but yeah mnuchin is Fun to say, Mnuchin. Uh, he's he's going to be the uh, Treasury Secretary. Uh, former Goldman Sachs partner, a lot of financial background. Uh, you look at Hank Paulson, what was it, under the Bush administration, former Goldman Sachs guy. This is not surprising. I mean, this is, at some point, you need to understand, if you're going to have people that are involved in senior government posts that deal with finance, the economy, the treasury, <laughs> our monetary system, all that stuff. Uh, you probably want to have somebody who has private sector experience dealing with that. And that's going to mean that there are some institutions, just like you're going to have people from Harvard and Yale Law who are on the Supreme Court and in uh, federal judge positions, positions across the country. Just the way that it is. They can talk about hashtag drain the swamp all day, but w- what kind of, who is a swamp draining treasury secretary that is qualified and acceptable to the left that any Trump administration would ever want to have. <laughs> that's a, You can ponder that one for a long time because the answer is there isn't one. Um, but that's where we are on that. Let's take some... So Mnuchin is through. There's a few more that need to get through. Uh, the Democrats have been slow rolling the process of getting Trump administration officials through. Um, they say it's, of course, because they need more. <laughs> They're extreme vetting Trump's nominees is what's going on here. Uh, but we will see uh, if there's any last-minute hiccups or difficulties that they face. All right, calls coming in, 844-900-2825. Les in Arizona, KFYI. Thank you very much for joining in. 
Yes. Uh, nice to talk to you. Uh, you too. I have a question about the uh, security aspect of the leak on uh, uh, Flynn's telephone call. Those are all recorded, and isn't the leaking of any information that's recorded, anybody in the government that would have that information, aren't they under some sort of uh, obligation not to leak any of that information? Oh, yeah. If this is, as has been reported and would make sense, if this is a leak of classified signals intelligence, uh, that would be a federal crime. So if somebody with access to that information got it via classified means, seems likely that's the case, uh, based on the sourcing that the journalistic accounts that deal with this have put out there, uh, then, yeah, there, there's, of course, a, a law breaking, whether it's a White House official or it is somebody from inside the intelligence community itself. It's definitely illegal. But again, but there are there are leaks and there are leaks. I mean, there are leaks that the people doing it feel like they are politically protected because even if they were found out, it would be seen as a reprisal against them for speaking truth. And part of the problem here is that even if you identified the leaker in the Flynn in, in the Flynn case, are you then you're then going to prosecute this individual for telling? Let's assume that assume that everything out there right now is true, and assume that Flynn hasn't been straightforward with not just Vice President Pence but the American public. You're going to prosecute him for telling the truth. That that's a t- that's yeah. Legally speaking, you can't do that. But are you going to get a jury to convict? Are you going to go down that pathway? That's prosecuting leaks is a very political, very politicized business. So. Your answer to your question is yes, absolutely. There's a high uh, possibility, high probability that the leak is of classified information. That's a violation of criminal statute, of federal law. But there's very little chance, I would say to you, that anybody, unless the Trump administration wants to go down that path, but very little chance that they would, uh, one, find this individual, and two, prosecute him or her, even if they did. Yeah, but if you did find them, could you remove them by that from getting any more security? Oh, you could definitely suspend their clearance. And then that's you. In a lot of these instances, that's the option that they, they choose to go with. Remember, if you work in the IC, if you're a, an intelligence community uh, official or analyst or whatever, if you're like me, a CIA, a CIA analyst, they pull your clearance, you're done. And you can't go even work in the private sector with your clearance. I mean, you're you're out of the game. So pulling someone's clearance is is essentially like telling, you know, it's, like taking the if, if you if you're driving a cab, someone takes the wheels off your car. I mean, you know, you're done, right? I mean, they don't have to necessarily fire you. You can't even you can't function anymore. So uh, that's that's a possibility here too. Less, I think you're going to see more of these leaks. Though it's been very effective. This has created a real problem. It'll go away, but it'll, it's created a real problem with the Trump administration, and uh, they're going to have to handle yeah. this. But thank you for calling in from Arizona, Les. Let's take Dan in North Carolina. Dan, you're speaking to Buck. Yes, Buck. Hey, I love your show. I got to tell you, I'm I'm really interested in your straightforward uh, attack, uh, and and it's just it's great because the biggest thing we got to understand right now is it's a big big problem out there. Thank you, sir. Yes, it is. In, it is indeed, and the me, the media is is acting as a, as a fifth column against the interests of the republic, whether they know it or not, on a lot of these issues. So they are not good. That, Absolutely are, and it's not good. They're not really creating. They're not doing anything to help the American person. They're just. They're something the left has created that I, 
God, I've struggled my whole life trying to figure out where in the hell it all comes from. But truth of the matter is, uh, we got to stay the course and we got to stay with Trump, and he, he he's on the right path. There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah, I think there's going to be some process hurdles and and even process mistakes. And this is even the fact that I even have to say this, Dan. Of course, the administration is going to make mistakes. They already have, and they're and they're going to make more. But when you look at what matters, you look at major uh, policy decisions. And also, I have to say, Trump has seemed so far absolutely uh, dead set on keeping his campaign promises, keeping his promises to those who supported him from the beginning and even those who jumped on the Trump train towards the end. He said that he was going to do certain things in the campaign. We're only a few weeks in, but he is at least pursuing them and still he certainly hasn't changed his tune um, although I'm a little annoyed about the delay and the tax, it looks like tax reform is not going to come until yeah. either end of summer or next year. I I don't like I I think you I think tax reform that's got to be right right alongside Obamacare. That's got to be top of the agenda. They got to go with that right away. Why that would be delayed? I've heard the rationales for it. I'm not sure I buy them. I think they're I think they're getting a little. Uh, a, a little shy about pulling the trigger on that, and they and they shouldn't. They should really move forward on tax reform. I think it's essential. Well, and the problem is, it's a, it it actually is a global war. We're not we're not dealing just with the United States anymore, and that's been the problem for the last fifty freaking years. Is they they keep trying to pull us into a global economy, a global world, and quite truthfully. Hey, I'm all for globalization. Everybody is. Hey, I'm all for immigrants. I'm all for the LGBT community. I'm all for a woman's right to do whatever she wants, although I wish she would figure out a better way to do birth control. But the bottom line is we've got to we, – this has been a long time coming. And uh, as, a, as a 65-year-old war vet, I can tell you honestly that this – what what you're doing, what Trump is doing, we're on the right course. That's I think so. Dan, thank you for your service, and thank you for your call, sir. Shields high. Appreciate appreciate hearing from you. Uh, maybe I'll talk a little. Uh, just to, like, switch it up a little bit here, team. Maybe we'll get into the Grammys after the break. Just for a second. I know a lot of you didn't watch you don't care. But there's some, there, there's, there's some political takeaways here that matter well beyond the confines of the music industry, such as it were. Uh, so I might spend a little time on that. We've also uh, got the, n- the little story on Netflix cheating. People that go and watch, they are supposed to watch a show with their you know, their spouse, their significant other, and, and they go ahead. And that's just very widespread. Some people think this is a very big problem. Um, and uh, and a few other, maybe we'll get to, uh, maybe we'll get to some of the stores that, more stores, by the way, dropping Avon. These are just some News items I wanted to get out there to you. More stores dropping Ivanka Trump's line, and they're all claiming, oh, it's just not selling that well. Yeah, because we're all idiots. Sure. And and they're still offering them on their websites. They're just making them less visible in the stores, I think, in at least one or two cases. So we're being told that, oh, no, this isn't in response to the boycotts. See, now industry knows, and a lot of different companies have seen this, and they don't want to get caught up. And I understand this. They're just trying to run a business, and they're just trying to sell a product and, and pay their employees and make a profit and go home. But they realize that the the issue you run up against with boycotts is the the counter-boycott, too. Uh, sometimes if you stand firm, you'll be even more supported uh, by customers. They'll make a real point of going out and buying. I, I think that happened 
with the owner of L.L. Bean. I rock the bean boots. Love them. Duck boots, quack, quack. All day for me, man. I think the duck boots are awesome. Um, but that was a uh, that was an instance of people supporting a product after she came under a lot of criticism for supporting Trump. So they said, well, we're going to go out and buy her boots. Um, I, I have to say, uh, the Ivanka Trump line being dropped from stores, and of course the, the left then says, oh, we're so focused on this. They can focus on whatever little minutia they want to demean Kellyanne Conway, Ivanka Trump, Donald Trump, you, you name it. Bannon, uh, you know, they, they act like that guy's Lucifer. I mean, just whatever they want to focus on, any tiny issue that they want to blow up into a much bigger issue as a metaphor for the entire Trump administration, they can do that. But the moment you push back, they go, oh, you're a snowflake. Oh, you're just a snowflake. Not a snowflake. Just asking people not to be jerks. There's a difference. Explain more what I mean in a second. 844-900-2825. Buck Sexton back with you all now. Thank you very much for joining in the Freedom Hut. Hope you're enjoying yourself. I'm having a great time, as always. Phones are open, 844-900-2825. So Senator Al Franken was on, what was the Bill Maher show, I guess? And he was expressing, oh, his concern about Trump's mental health. Here we go. Play it. Sort of senators say he's mentally ill, right? He's an idiot. I mean, oh, this is actually Piers Morgan talking street, about it, isn't it? No, I wouldn't have personally voted for Donald Trump. He's not my politics, and I'm not even American, so I couldn't vote for him if I wanted to. That's right. Um, but you know, I didn't think anything could match the hysteria that I've seen in Britain since we left Europe, and I voted to stay in. But this hysteria about these racist, sexist Neanderthals who've seized control of our country, and now I come to Los Angeles, where if you don't say that. Trump's the new Hitler. You get tarred, feathered, and dragged to Santa Monica Pier, and you get drowned and beaten within an inch of your life. And I just think it's time everybody took a massive, gigantic chill pill. But he is mentally ill. He's not mentally ill. He's a president of the United States. He won a free democratic election. You don't think kings can be mentally ill? Okay, well, kings are... (laughs) Kings are... First of all, Bill Maher, uh, kings are a hereditary succession. So you, you don't have people that get to hear like the king's platform usually. That's not how it works. A monarchy is based in uh, a hereditary su- uh, succession. So there's that little aspect of it. Uh, but also I wanted to play what, what this is a sitting U.S. Senator, Al Franken, what he says about the president on a television show with millions of viewers, or at least a, a two or three million viewers, I think, uh, speaking about this. And he says flat out, this is sitting U.S. Senator who, by the way, may decide to run for the presidency himself in 2020. So not an insignificant figure in Democrat politics saying that he thinks the president is me- mentally ill. Play it. And some will um, say that he's not right mentally. <laughs> <laughs> and then okay. some are harsher. Okay, he says he's not right mentally. I mean, I think he's alluding to mental illness. Piers Morgan mentioned mental illness there but first of all what is the left doing when they make me agree with with Piers Morgan um, who is saying something that we've talked about here many times already which is that the the hysteria the greatest advertisement for pro-Trump support that's out there right now that I know of is how much is, is who hates him and how much they hate him and we saw some of this in the Grammys which I know the Grammy a lot of you're like boo don't talk about the Grammys but it's quick quick this is gonna be painless Grammy segment um because you had, uh, do we have, yeah, we have, what is it, the the moment that uh, 
Busta, Busta Rhymes, who was uh, a, made a, a breakout in the media and the music business when I was in high school, I think. So it's it's been a while for Mr. For Mr. Rhymes. It has been a while. Uh, but he came out with A Tribe Called Quest and a few others. And this is what he had to say about the President of the United States. Play it, please. I just want to thank President Agent Orange for perpetuating all of the evil that you've been perpetuating throughout the United States. I want to thank President Agent Orange for your unsuccessful attempt at the Muslim ban. When we come together, we the people. We the people. You know, look, if, 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 Mr., if Mr. Buster Rhymes wants to say that he thinks that Agent, you know, that, he, that the President's Agent Orange, look, Satire is essential in a free society, and you have to be able to criticize uh, those in power and and to mock them. I mean, look back at the power of political cartoons stretching back all the way to the founding. I mean, you you have to be open to, or you you have to be allowed to mock political figures. So, you know, if you, you, making fun of the president is very different for me than making fun of the president's family. Or, so, I get that. All right. But I just I just have to say, I love this perception that's out there among people in Hollywood and in uh, the uh, music media, uh, in the music industry, and of course elsewhere, but in those two places in particular, that they're somehow being brave by doing this. You know, brave maybe is what I feel it was Joy uh, Villa or Via was her name. Standing up and wearing a "Make America Great Again" dress, which she clearly did as a publicity stunt. I haven't heard whether she supports Trump or not, but you, you do that so the people like me go on radio and talk about you. Or really, she wants people on TV and various channels that cover media. I'm sure, to, or to cover music to talk about her. But nonetheless, I, it still counts. Um, there's all of this self-congratulatory grandstanding that goes on, and somehow it never it never ceases to uh, it never ceases to be a point of enjoyment and and this pseudo bravery for those on the left that they get to stand up and they say this stuff and they know they're going to get it's going to be good for their careers people are going to clap for them they're going to say it's awesome but there's really no place now where you're less free to state your opinion than i think in uh in beyonce worship i mean you better say that she is the greatest ever or else. If you go on social media and you say, you know what, that performance that she gave was kind of eh, that was trying really hard, it just wasn't that good, people come down on you. I mean, you get it's you get told you're the worst, the worst kinds of names. So now I'm glad that I'm learning the rules for contemporary discourse in America. You have to hate Trump or else you're Hitler, and you have to love Beyonce or else... You're the worst ever. I mean, this is this is the the context for many of our discussions now. I have to tell you, you know, one th- I I don't like worship of politicians. I, I like worship of of media figures. I don't know if it's possible to like the, even less, but it's definitely uh, right up there for me. And the more someone tells me that I have to love someone's art or their, uh, you know, whatever, if they're a writer, if they're a musician, the more that I have to love their creative process or else I don't know anything, the more skeptical I become and the happier I am when I can stand up and say, nah, sorry, it's it's just not that good. And whether you love her whole catalog of music or not, Beyonce at the Grammys just wasn't that good. Buck Saxon will be right back. Buck is back. Hey, everybody, Buck's back. It's more of America Now. Throw in your two cents. 1-844-900-BUCK. 
That's 1-844-900-2825. Buck Sexton, back with you all now. Uh, thank you so much for being here. 844-900-2825. Uh, so the, the Trump administration is dropping the Obama administration's guidelines for transgender students and their use of bathrooms in schools across the country. Uh, this is a departure, and I'm sure the left is going departure from what had previously been uh, set up by President Obama and his White House. So I'm sure the left is going to be very upset about this. Uh, this is part of a larger discussion, a larger debate, some would even say a culture war, to eliminate the differences between the sexes, to pretend that this is all just a question of how one identifies, not of biological reality. We're joined now by an author who tackles that very subject in her new book, Ashley McGuire. She's a journalist and author of Sex Scandal, The Drive to Abolish Male and Female. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us on the program. Thanks for having me. All right. uh, So gender norming, uh, the gender spectrum, this is all stuff that even as someone who went to a pretty left-wing college, but a little over, well, uh, gosh, now it's like 15 years ago. Uh, This is new stuff to me. I'm trying to learn the terminology. This is just changing very, very rapidly, this whole gender studies and gender spectrum issue. What's going on? Well, you know, what I try to do in the book is show all the different ways that this is playing out in society. You know, I think that people think of this and their mind immediately jumps to say the bathroom issue, quote unquote. But in fact, this is happening everywhere, whether it's um, the United States military, you know, on the one hand, having different physical standards for men and women. um, But on the other hand, essentially saying we're going to put women in combat roles, whether they like it or not. um, Or then, you know, having a national debate about whether or not we should be requiring women to register for the military draft, something that you know, five years would have seemed completely insane, um, but actually turned into a national debate, and the Senate actually voted in favor of it. Um, to colleges and universities starting to experiment with co-ed dorm rooms, while at the same time banning things like single-sex clubs, and then wondering, you know, why it is that they have rape epidemics. To elementary school kids, um, you know, I give the example of uh, one teacher in, I think, Washington State banning Legos from her kid's classroom um, because the boys were more inclined to it while the girls were more inclined towards um, girly toys. So, wait, Leg- Legos are part of the patriarchy? I did not know that. <laughs> well, no, it's totally affecting toys. I mean, Target last year came out and said, um, we're no longer going to categorize our toys. Um, based on boy or girl. And in fact, we're not even going to use blue or pink background wallpaper on the shelves that we put them on because that's so offensive. And this whole notion of of gender versus uh, biological sex, this is what people try to point. I've had people point this out to me as though they're trying to enlighten me, like I'm coming out of the dark ages and I, I know nothing. And I say, well, no, g- g- you're, you're, there's XX chromosome, XY chromosome. And they say, well, no, that's biological sex. That's not gender. And I say, to them, well, no, actually, it is gender. <laughs> this, this, there seems to be some continued confusion on this point. This is not a what I think is what it is situation. You can think whatever you want. People can change their name to whatever they want. They can dress however they want. But you can't change your gender. 
Well, right. And one thing I point out is actually we're not even using the right language. Um, when we talk about men and women, the correct word is sex. You know, when you check a box on a form, usually it says sex, male or female. And that is the correct scientific way to refer to people as male or female. Gender is a word that basically came about in the 50s and 60s, mostly out of, you know, women's studies departments at colleges and universities. And it's a basically meaningless label. And in fact, many people who are sort of behind the gender ideology push will agree and say, um, you know, this word can mean whatever you want it to mean. And in fact, the Obama administration, one of the things that they did in the um, example of the administrative regulation that you mentioned at the beginning of the show was actually replace sex with gender and say that you cannot discriminate on the basis of gender. Well, what does that even mean? I mean, how can a woman, for example, say she's being discriminated against um, if, you know, male and female actually aren't even legitimate categories anymore? I remember not long ago being on radio and saying, you know, it's just a matter of time before uh, individuals who are accused of serious crimes that are going to serve lengthy prisons or, or convicted of serious crimes that are going to serve lengthy prison sentences decide, you know, uh, it'd be, be-, be better to be the one biological male in the all-female prison than the alternative. And I, I figured, based on the logic of this progressive leftist movement to eradicate the distinctions that exist, very obvious distinctions of gender, that it was only a matter of time before there would start to be policies that reflect this. And I've found out recently that some prison policies do reflect this, that, that there now are male inmates that are that say they are transitioning, that they are transgender females, and they're putting them in female prisons. I, I'm not sure it's the case in this country yet, but I believe it's happened, I think it might have been in Australia recently. I'll have to check on the news story that I'm, I'm thinking of at the top of my head. But this is happening in places now. They're actually taking it to that length. Oh, sure. And, you know, I cite the example in my book of a domestic violence shelter in Canada that was forced to go all the way to the highest court in Canada to argue that men should not be allowed into a domestic violence shelter for women. Um, You know, and I think, where does it stop? You know, how soon until we have um, biological boys in girls' summer camps? I mean, just last week we heard that the Boy Scouts is now going to let in whoever based on whatever sex they identify with. But we're talking about children, underage children, potentially placing biological girls in tents, potentially overnight, with pubescent boys. Now tell me how in your book you you get into uh, how embracing sexual differences can make policing safer, government more efficient, and hedge funds lose less money. How so? Well, with policing, for example, it's very interesting. Um, They found that women, because men and women have such a different approach to things, and because um, women are physically just not as strong on average as men, um, they found that women have a very different approach to policing and actually have uh, a style that frequently de-escalates violent situations. Because a woman knows that if it's a matchup of her strength versus some 250-pound bad guy, she's not going to throw him to the ground. She probably can't even throw him onto the back of a car. But she can talk him down out of a violent situation. And I cite all, all sorts of studies that have found that um, – you know, when you're looking at police brutality, excessive force lawsuits, the women are dramatically less likely, almost never have lawsuits against them like that. 
because they just don't opt for that approach to policing. And so, you know, the last couple of years, we've seen all of these problems with police brutality and violence, and people are starting to argue, actually, um, more female police officers might solve that problem. So that's that example. And then with the hedge fund um, example, I talk about the 08 financial crisis and how um, because women are overall less uh, or more risk-averse, um, hedge funds that were run by women or had higher percentages of women actually lost less money in the financial crisis um, because they were, you know, less inclined to get involved in some of these risky um, financial deals that got us into the into that crisis. And so a lot of businesses are actually finding that the more um, women they have, the more likely they are to have a more balanced approach, that it's a good balance between, you know, sort of the male propensity for risk, the female propensity to sort of have a horizontal view of things, and that these are things that we shouldn't be threatened by or that it's not patronizing to say that women have a different approach to these things. It's it's a mutually beneficial thing that helps us bring out the best in each other. Speaking to Ashley McGuire, she's the author of a new book, Sex Scandal, The Drive to Abolish Male and Female. One last one for you, Ashley, before we have to go. Why is this so important to the left? There, I know people that are not themselves transgender, have no one in their family who's transgender, and don't even know anybody who is transgender. And if you use the wrong pronoun or you run afoul of their leftist orthodoxy on this, they will lose their minds on you. How did this become such a big issue to progressives? Well, I think it's a real ideological agenda, and I think there are people who are pushing it who have the noble goal of equality. Um, They're they're thinking about equality between the sexes. Um, But the reality is that there are others who are pushing an agenda to essentially deconstruct nature, Um, that they don't like the laws of nature, they don't like the realities that, you know, we are male and female, we're not disembodied, that our bodies are very much a part of who we are. Um, and I think that, you know, that's a big part of why you're seeing this actually starting to be pushed onto children, um, because the younger you can sort of get people with this mentality, um, the better. But, you know, I think that if the end goal is equality, the idea that the only way we can achieve it is if we make men and women identical is ultimately a doomed one and one that is going to hurt women because it makes it forces them to compete against men on male terms. The book is Sex Scandal, The Drive to Abolish Male and Female. Author Ashley McGuire, thank you so much for joining. Great to have you. Thanks for having me. Buck Sexton, back with you all now. Oh, boy. Uh, we don't have... The details on this yet, but Drudge Report, hat tip for posting it. Uh, The Washington Post is supposed to lead off tomorrow. Its lead story is going to be Justice Department warned White House that Flynn could be vulnerable to Russian blackmail. Ooh, um... Look, this is go- this is going to come down to what the details are. That's that someone could be vulnerable to blackmail by Russia. Maybe just <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to speculate here. But if the post is running with this, I'm not surprised at all that someone in the Justice Department, which is is overrun with and at very senior levels with lefty progressives. That someone may be now we may be talking about, oh, man, this stuff, this is just getting it's getting dirty, everybody. 
the background investigation files, there are few things more sensitive that the government has access to on an individual basis than your background investigation. Well, I, had a, I had a top secret clearance. I went through that whole process, and that's just uh, something that, you know, and I had to go through the polygraph and all of that. Not not fond memories. There's no part of you that sits there when you're being polygraphed and the guy or girl that's polygraphing you starts asking you the most personal questions imaginable. And you're like, this is great. Sign me up. Can I do the polygraph again tomorrow? I'm really enjoying myself. I rather like the polygraph. No. You never think that. It's it's not a fun not a fun situation. And of course also it's voluntary, but it can be used against you in a court of law. And I I've heard people tell stories at least about how someone would be like, you know, yeah, I haven't done anything since, you know, I uh, buried that body 20 years ago in the backyard. But I mean, you know, now I'm ready to serve the government again. It's like, nope, now you're ready to go to prison. Uh, so you don't want to say things in the polygraph that are uh, incriminating. Um, but they have all this background inf- information on you. A lot of it is if, when you look at the raw intel they collect, it can be stuff that your ex-spouse may be saying about you, your really annoying neighbor who played the loudest EDM electronic dance music ever for two years and you hated. He may get to tell the background investigator that you are a you know a a, a Chinese run spy or something. You know you don't know or that you're selling drugs or whatever. And that just goes into your file, and then they adjudicate. Then they actually look at things, and then they decide, are you someone who, are these accusations, if they're serious accusations, are they true? And they make it, I should also point out, by the way, that a senior, uh, a would-be senior member of the NSC that's considered a close confidant of General Flynn's was denied a clearance recently, and the reporting was that even CIA Director Pompeo Agreed with that designation, so that's that's not good. Um, but I want to. I really am curious to see what the. You can tell they are. This is like clockwork. I mean, they are going to push hard to see if they can get a very senior level resignation from the Trump administration this week. And I, I don't. Usually, I would say to you, look, the Trump team knows. You never placate the left by feeding them one of your own. You, you never make them go away by conceding, by trying to uh, make some sort of, of a concession. You know, there's no, there is no sacrifice to the progressive gods you can make as someone who does not adopt the policies and attitudes and beliefs of the left. There's nothing you can do that will make them stop or go away. <laughs> They're like Skynet and Terminator, or, or rather... Um, the Terminator and Terminators, he absolutely will not stop. It does not feel pity or remorse. Kyle Reese uh, speaking to Sarah Connor. Uh, the, the progressive left does not feel pity or remorse, and it absolutely will not stop until America is destroyed. Uh, but I don't know if they can I don't know if they can hold the line on this one. I don't and I don't know if they should. It depends on what they have on on Flynn here, but the, look, the Post knows that if they run a story about a, about a senior uh, government official like this that's very specific at this point in time on anonymous sources and it's hazy, there's going to be a real backlash. Maybe they'll still do it. You know, you look at what you know. BuzzFeed was like, what's up, bro? We're just going like, to drop the dossier on Trump and, you know, whatever, man. Like, you'll figure it out. No, that's not how this is supposed to work, uh, BuzzFeed, but that was what they did. We'll see. 
Uh, we'll see what happens here with this Washington Post story. But I, I would be if I were the inner circle of the Trump administration, I would be concerned right now. Look, I'm always going to tell you how I feel about this stuff. I, I'm not going to um, hedge because I, I know that it's um, among conservatives out there. There are a lot of them, not all of them, still a never Trump movement, but a lot of them just don't want to hear any criticism of, of, of Trump or the administration. This isn't Trump criticism per se. This is just looking at the reality of what's going on with Flynn. But again, if he has, if they have real information on how he could be vulnerable to blackmail, remember, being vulnerable to blackmail doesn't mean you're being blackmailed. doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. And plenty of times uh, people in the past have been denied a security clearance or denied a senior government role, not because they've done anything wrong, but just because they may be a, comp- a risk for compromise. Uh, uh, compromisat, uh, I think is what the Russians would say. Uh, and so uh, that's a possibility here. If it is the case that General Flynn is in some way indebted to Russia, I, I don't know. He did work as a, and I've got to be honest with you, he, he worked uh, for a while as a paid contributor to Russia Today, which is a network that even very early on in my media career as a former CIA analyst, and I was a GS nobody, you know, just just another dude showing up to Langley, one of a cast of of, of a lot. <laughs> Can't tell you the actual number, uh, but one of a cast of a lot of people there. And I, when Russia Today was like, yes, book, would you like uh, to come and we'll have you come on the show and you'll do the... Th- that's actually not how the producers sound either. I'm, I'm giving you a fake Trudeau impersonation and a fake Russia Today producer impersonation. They're like, hey, Buck, would you like to come on Russia Today? But in my mind, it's more like this. They're like, why don't you come on? We'll talk about the foreign policy and the, you can uh, discuss how America is the worst country in the world. Uh, so I, I would not go on RT. I just wouldn't do it. Uh, they asked me to go. I'm like, I'm not doing it. I have no interest. And I'll go on MSNBC. I mean, as long as I feel like you're not, you know, uh, I'll go and and speak to the other side. But you can't be act. You can't be funded by an oppositional foreign government. That's and trying to undermine uh, the security and foreign policy interests of the United States. That that I will not go and and participate in. And Flynn did. And I got it. It was not smart. So that's a problem. Uh, I I don't know what's going to happen here, but this is not looking good. And I bring this up, and I know it seems like why Buck? Why so much focus today on this? If they are able to get a very this is national security advisor very senior position if they're able to take Flynn down over this fair or not man the media is going to go into hyperdrive on this stuff they're going to you're going to see so many stories about the Russia connections in the week ahead and disarray in the White House this could be big problems for Trump's uh, Trump team so we'll uh, move on to immigration in a second Buck Sexton with America Now, where there's always something to talk about, where you can trade opinions with Buck. Not sure you'll win, though. Just call 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. All right, Buck, you're on. Indeed, Buck is back. Lines are open here, 844-900-2825. Butch in North Carolina. Butch, you're speaking to Buck. Hey, Buck. Good uh, afternoon to you. You too, sir. I enjoyed uh, you and uh, uh, 
Ambassador Bolton on Maria Bartirolo this morning. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, it's great. It's a lot of fun. I'll be back on Maria's show, I think, this Thursday from 6 to 9 Eastern. So anyone listening, tune into Fox Business. And thank you, sir. I enjoyed that. Ambassador I'm Bolton's great, by the way. you got a guy who is tremendously knowledgeable about the world, legitimately, unlike some of the other TV experts on other networks that say they're foreign policy or national security experts. Bolton is really smart. And he's also a really cool guy. He'll go on Red Eye on Fox and does a great job. I think they've even called him either the mayor or the president of Red Eye before. He's, 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 so he's fun, man. He's a really smart guy and uh, obviously great mustache and is a lot of fun to be on TV with. So thank you for uh, noticing that, Butch. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Listen, but the reason I was calling you is I, I think the main culprit behind all of this left stuff we have going on now that is thoroughly promoting it is uh, George Soros. It's pretty well documented he's paying these people to protest. And, uh, you know, the man is pretty nefarious to begin with. And I've been curious for several years now, uh, why is this gentleman, uh, I, I hate to call and I use that term loosely, uh, I wonder why he is not guilty of sedition. One of the three terms mentioned in the Constitution. Uh, well, he's allowed to, I mean, you can pay people to pro that's, that's not illegal to pay people to protest. I don't think it's honest or you know, a good idea. Um, uh, but he, he looks Soros's hand and a lot of these things is, is hidden because it goes through organizations that act as middlemen, trying to make it seem like they're more grassroots than they are. And this is by the way, commonplace with a lot of leftist activist groups, particularly on the environmentalist side. I've seen how you get these major donors and they give money to these middlemen organizations that work in the environment and then they give money to even smaller organizations in the environment people can say that this is just to spread the wealth around but of course what it does is it hides the hand of, of who's be, uh, who's uh, behind all this so i have to be honest with you butch it's not it's not sedition to pay protesters but it's also i think indicative of the activist left's dishonesty if they were to come out and tell people one who's behind them, who's supporting them, they know that that would be a problem for public perception, and also they like to make things seem like they're something they're not. There's a there's a, this the astroturf. I think it was Nancy Pelosi who first started using that about. I think she said that about the Tea Party, which was not true. Uh, but the notion that you have these very wealthy donors that are paying for all these people to make something seem like a a main street populist uprising on an issue um, that's. If it were real, they wouldn't need people to pay them, right? And, of course, the protest culture on the left is is well-ingrained and not just protests, but boycotts. These are just culturally uh, things that are much more commonplace among progressives than they are among uh, conservatives. And you can make your own choice or make your own conclusions about whether that's because, you know, conservatives have to go and work and pay the mortgage. So, Yeah, but if the, if the intent is to bring down the United States, that is sedition. That that would and be true, uh, but I don't think you can point to. I, I don't think that Soros is paying anybody to walk around with, uh, you know, let's march on the White House and overthrow the government sign. So it's a very hard, very hard case to make. I mean, you bring up an interesting point. I, I think I said even on the show last week there are only three crimes that are mentioned specifically in the Constitution, and they are treason, piracy, and counterfeiting. So treason is a constitutionally listed crime, but is a very high bar for for good reason. Uh, but Butch, I appreciate you calling in from from North Carolina. Shields high, and thank you for sharing your thoughts. All right, immigration, man. I I, I wanted to get immigration Friday, and I kind of went off on a buck tangent. Wanted to, I want to hand out some 
buck slaps to uh, people on the left. And I should start getting a, we need to get a slap noise. So when I do a buck slap, it's like, hi-ya. Uh, but it's, I'm thinking it's more like a karate chop than a slap. I don't know why. That's how I, that's how I visualize it, at least. Maybe a fly kick or a roundhouse Chuck Norris style. But I want to talk to you about immigration on Friday. I didn't really get to Now today, here we are in latter stages of the, uh, the Freedom Hut broadcast for three hours here. And I'm just getting to it. Here's we're, this is, we're going to keep hitting this issue. This is going to be the uh, the central front, I think, for the Trump administration in 2017. Uh, my expectation is that they will have greater resistance, more fighting, and will expend more of their time, energy, and political capital on immigration than really any other issue. Because on Obamacare... Obamacare's never been popular, uh, and they also are going to go about repealing a place in a way that I, I think is going to be uh, piece by piece, which is going to be harder for the left uh, to say, oh, they're kicking you off your insurance, they're, which is good. Hopefully they do this thing right, um, and they'll they'll get away from Obamacare. I, everyone I know, and I know I said I'd talk immigration, here I'm talking Obamacare, off the, the, the tangents uh, are run fast and furious around here. Sorry about that. Um, but the reality of Obamacare is that it's bad and people who have it know it. And there are some people that are benefiting from it, but primarily it's through Medicaid. And that's not really the promise of what this was. It was supposed to be better health care, affordable, affordable health care for all. And what it's turned into is subsidized health care for some, terrible health care that they're paying way too much more for a lot of other people, and uh, a lot of Medicaid expansions that eat up a considerable percentage of states' budgets, and and it's uh, wildly expensive. And then the moment you start putting more illegals on these exchanges, I mean, just imagine where the co- which direction the cost curve is going to go in there. Okay, illegals. There's a good transition point. Immigration already. You can see the left is gearing up for a huge fight on this. Uh, over the weekend. You had interesting exchanges. I don't think I have any of the audio for you right now, but we have interesting exchanges between uh, Miller, who is the White House senior policy advisor, and uh, George Stephanopoulos, specifically on voter fraud. And they, you can see that there, there's this part of the left that likes to say, well, you don't have any evidence. And then they say, well, we have circumstantial evidence for voter fraud that primarily would involve uh, non-citizens, including illegals, but also just uh, non-citizen green card holders, and they they get very agitated over this, and they'll usually stumble into there's no such thing as voter fraud, and then you point out, well, no, actually there is voter fraud, and then they go, oh, okay, fine, but there's not a lot of voter fraud, and you say, well, how would we know? And when you start to come up with ways to look into this more thoroughly and establish what the real number of of illegal votes cast would be in any election, there's a tremendous amount of pushback. I think it's because the Democrat Party realizes that if there if, if there is a um, an evidence-based conclusion that we reach that voter fraud is substantial, it doesn't have to be 3 million. If it's 50 to 100,000, I think people would say, whoa, that's way too much. And when you look at the number of votes cast and the number of people who are registered to vote who are not citizens and how easily this can happen when in different government offices they are offering driver's license they're offering government benefits to people and simultaneously handing them a 
uh, handing them a voter registration card, you can see how even in as a good faith error, this could be happening in considerable numbers. I don't know what the numbers are, but everybody that I know who follows the immigration closely and isn't in the tank for open borders or you know internationalist, you know we are one world perspective on things says no, no, we don't have the numbers. We don't know. It's also like when people say there are 11 million illegals in this country. Okay, that's been the number for a long time. Is we sure it's not 12? Are we sure it's not 13? Really, really very sure it's static at 11? Okay, maybe. But we definitely don't know if people are voting legally or not. There are some cases, one very uh, prominent or well-reported on case from last week where someone got eight years for voter fraud. I believe she was an illegal. And what the left realizes is that if you can establish that voter fraud is real, meaning that it's happening and it's happening in numbers that we have to be concerned about. And quite honestly, when you look at the margin of victory in Minnesota for, oh yeah, Al Franken, who was on the show earlier when he was like, oh, I thought, I think that President, President Trump is unstable. Um, you have Al Franken on and he won over, I think it was Norm Coleman by hundreds. It was in the hundreds of votes. The margin was razor thin. So you don't have to prove a lot of voter. Think about this now. You don't have to prove a lot of voter fraud for it to matter. If you can prove substantial numbers, certainly in the tens of thousands or in the th- in the low thousands, even people would say, "Whoa, this is we need to rein this in." And then you start to draw the the next conclusion. And this is what becomes really damaging for the Democrats, I think, is, "Oh, okay. So you haven't wanted to know about this all along. You obviously want as many people." who are not voting legally to vote as possible because it benefits your party, because the Democrats are the party of the state, of state benefits, of getting free stuff that other people pay for. And if you are an illegal, chances are that it would be in your immediate financial interest, your immediate economic interest to support the party that wants to give you free or more free stuff. Look, Republicans want to give free stuff, too. That's a whole separate conversation. I'd love to get there, too. We're not even talking about entitlements anymore. It was all we pay into entitlements. You know what? You don't pay. You, you pay in less than you take out a lot of the time. That's a side note. We'll get there. Um, but on immigration, there has been this uh, obvious uh, switch. You go back and you read the New York Times editorial page from like 1999. I'm thinking of one editorial off the top of my head, and they were immigra- illegal immigration hurts wages in this country, hurts workers in this country, and is unfair to the African-American community because illegals are disproportionately competing for jobs from within the African-American community. That was the New York Times at the, at the, turn, you know, at, at the turn of the century. I mean, that was the New York Times not long ago. At the turn of the century makes it sound like a long time ago. Somehow the Democratic Party shift. I wonder if the shift to the more votes, the merrier, let's not ever see if there's illegal voting going on, and let's register as many people as possible, knowing that there's going to be mistakes made, intentional or not. I wonder if it has to do with who illegals will vote for. All right, I, I got to hit more of these immigration raids. I'm just on a, I'm, I'm on fire here. We got more coming. All right, Team Buck, I mentioned before that the uh, Washington Post was going to have this story out about how Flynn was vulnerable to blackmail. This is just a pile on. It's it's a, a, a nothing new burger. That much is for sure. It may not be a nothing burger, but it's a nothing new burger. It's not much, not much to go on here. There, you've got the former, the former acting attorney general, Sally Yates. She of 
I'm not going to defend Trump's executive order, even though that's not my call fame. You know, she's in her, in her, her last few hours uh, working for the Department of Justice before she was fired. Uh, that's who's cited in this piece. And she felt that Mike Pence should know that Flynn, this is all according to the Washington Post here, their sources, that Flynn was lying to Pence about the contents of that call and that she was worried that there was, quote, illegal activity. No one has ever been prosecuted under the Logan Act. It is of dubious constitutionality as a statute to start with. I, I do not think it would survive scrutiny. And the only reason it hasn't been overturned or thrown out is because no one ever, I think one person may have been prosecuted in history and it was unsuccessful. I think there was one case brought in, it was like in the 19, 19th century. Uh, so that this was, quote, illegal is just, that's nonsense. It's not illegal, not any more illegal than any number of high profile visits to foreign countries where they've discussed foreign policy. I'm sorry, there's no, there's no conviction going to happen here. And it's an overbroad statute and not going to happen. That all said. Uh, oh, oh, and, and so then let me just say that she said that he was, quote, potentially vulnerable to Russian blackmail uh, because of this phone call. That's that's. That's hyped. That's not. No, I'm sorry. That's not new information. And that is not. Uh, there's nothing here that to me says blackmail. The Russians are going to blackmail Flynn by what? By saying you either sell out your country, your career, military, you sell your country out to us, or uh, we will tell everybody that we discussed the sanctions before you become very powerful. Uh, I know, I sound like Count Dracula now. Man, my Russian is getting sloppy, too. Uh, but still, that you're, you, they think Mike Flynn's going to sell out his country to the Russians. He's vulnerable to blackmail because they may say that he spoke to them about sanctions when he hadn't said that. I mean, that would be embarrassing, but I don't, I don't think I don't think Flynn is going to sell out America for that. So, again, I just I thought we'd have to wait maybe until tomorrow morning before the story was posted, but it's up right now. And you got Sally Yates, acting attorney general in the Department of Justice, who is a clear left wing Democrat partisan pretending to be a DOJ lawyer. OK, you know, um, she came in, I'm sure, and was very happy to do all kinds of stuff with the Obama administration. I'm sure she loved all the uh, hyperpartisan activities of the, um, you know, hyperpartisan activities that the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice has engaged uh, engaged in under the Obama presidency. Uh, but <laughs> they're they're saying that they're running this piece about blackmail. Quote: Justice Department warned White House that Flynn could be vulnerable to Russian blackmail. I'm sorry, but that is that is overstating the case here. That is overstating this case. Um, vulnerable to blackmail? I don't. I don't think so. Not based on this. I thought there was going to be something else. You know, Flynn had accepted some payments for some speeches in Russia. Only person who's allowed to get paid way too much money speaking Russia is Bill Clinton. I mean, you know, that's that's not corruption. That's just good old fashioned fun, baby. Uh, but yeah, he got paid, I think it was $800,000 for speech through either it was a Russian subsidiary, a company, or Russian oligarch, one of those guys. Uh, it was, I think it was his most valuable speech ever, or at least close to it. It had to do with Russian interests. But, you know, he just loves he just loves America and just loves the world and wants help. I mean, he's a good guy. At least we don't have to deal with him very much anymore. Uh, blackmail? I don't think so. I was expecting more. And remember, I was, I was willing to say, I'm worried here. Maybe they've leaked. Maybe they've got something. 
this is this is nothing. I, okay, I shouldn't say it's nothing. This is not what they're setting it up to be. This is not what they're saying it is. Um, Flynn's are it's already out there that he he's already apologized to Pence, misled him about the phone call. Clearly, Flynn got a little jammed up here, and but the other side of this is. You got senior DOJ people who have access to classified just like the Intel community people do. And they are selectively uh, putting stuff out there. I'm sure. Who wants to take a guess as to who may have spoken to the press about this Flynn thing in the first place? Ooh, anybody? Anybody want to start placing some bets on that? So the unelected branch of government, the bureaucracy, is trying to uh, go after Trump and, and all of his people, including Flynn. And looks like they've scored at least some kind of a hit here on the administration uh, by making things difficult for Flynn. Oh, man, I wanted to. OK, guys, I, pr- I promise we'll talk more about immigration. <laughs> I teed that up and I got but I, I had to get to get this because it just broke now. The story in The Washington Post. So I, I don't think this is going to be the this story, at least, is not the end for the National Security Advisor in this administration. But they're going to try to hype this thing up tomorrow, man. That much is for sure. Please go to AmericanOutRadio.com slash podcast to listen to the show on demand for free. Uh, As always, you can share it with uh, friends. Uh, The best thing you can do for me, if you are someone who considers yourself part of Team Buck, and if you're listening, I certainly hope you do, just tell a couple people about the show. Tell a friend about the show. I'll be back with you tomorrow night, same time, same place, my friends. Until then, as always, Shields High.